Amen. I believe the Lord has been pleased with the worship tonight, and His name has been exalted, and that always honors the Lord. And thank you. I've enjoyed the choir and that sweet little girl. I wish she were my granddaughter, <laughs> but uh, she's not. But anyway, I and, and uh, it's just all been very, very good. Thank you, Brother Charles, for inviting me back. I love this church. I'll be back with you again in January. Look forward to that. Thank you. If you can't come, I hope you'll send your offering. That'd be wonderful. But anyway, thank you so very much. I'm privileged to be in this place. I really am. I was in the motel this afternoon, and I was looking over what I was going to preach, and the phone rang, and it was Steve Gaines from Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and he said, I just want to pray for you for your service tonight. So I thought that was a special blessing that he would call and, and pray for this service. Lots of folks are praying for the service tonight, and I know you've been praying. God's Word is going to speak to some of you tonight, and when God's Word speaks to you, He always expects a response. Now, you can check that out in this book. Every time God ever spoke to somebody, He always expected a response. So you be prepared to respond if God speaks to you tonight, all right? All right, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. If you have found it, say amen. amen. If you haven't, just keep looking. I promise you it's right there. <laughs> Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained either, were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth, Unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Go back up to verse 12 and look at the last half of it. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Some translations translate it like this that I may lay hold of everything for which Jesus laid hold right. of me. Basically, what Paul is saying is this. I want to be everything Jesus saved me to be. 
I believe the great curse of modern Christianity is that so many Christians are content to live their lives in mediocrity. Mediocre Christians are the most detrimental thing I know to the Christian faith. And Jesus deserves more than that. He's worthy of more than our mediocre Christian lives. Paul said, I'm not going to be satisfied with mediocrity. I want to be everything Jesus saved me to be. Well, Brother Bob, if if I'm going to be everything Jesus saved me to be, what does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, you must be saved. Well, duh. (laughs) There's not any way you can be what Jesus saved you to be unless, first of all, you have been saved. What does it mean to be saved? A lot of folks think it means you walk down an aisle, you fill out a card, you shake somebody's hand, you get baptized, and all of those are good things, but that's not what it means to be saved. In verse 8, we read about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, that's exactly what it means to be saved. It means that you know Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you know about Him. I know a lot about him, and you do too. Did you know that you can know that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a life without sin, that he was baptized by John the Baptist, that he died upon the cross, that he was buried in a tomb, he was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back again. You can know all of those things and still not be saved. You see, knowing Jesus is not knowing about him. It is a personal, intimate, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A personal, intimate, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I know about Donald Trump. I know about Joe Biden. I know about uh, many folks. But I'm telling you, knowing about someone doesn't mean that you know them. And knowing about Jesus doesn't mean you know him. It is a personal, intimate, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, Brother Bob, how do I know if I have that personal, intimate, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? How do I know if I'm really saved? Well, in these verses, Paul gives us three evidences of a person who's really saved. First of all, Paul says, if you're really saved, you have entered into a brand new dimension of living. He says there in verse 9, and be found in him. Now, there was a day you didn't live in him. You lived outside of him. All of us, before we were saved, were outside of the Lord. We did not live inside of him. We were outside of him. Everything we did, we did outside of him. Every place we went, we went outside of him. Every decision we made, we made outside of him. But when we had that personal, intimate, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when we were saved, we entered into a dimension of living we'd never lived before. We're in Him now. Every place we go, we're in Him. Everything we do, we're in Him. Every decision we make, we're in Him. 
And so one of the evidences of being saved is you have entered a brand new dimension of living. You're no longer outside of him, you're in him. A second proof of salvation is you have received a brand new standard of righteousness. He says there in verse 9 that we have not that old righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Isaiah says that all of our righteousness, and that means our self-righteousness, is a filthy rag. And I'm not going to define that because children are here in a mixed audience, but I'm telling you it's the most disgusting, distasteful thing you could possibly imagine. All of our self-righteousness is offensive to God, and He hates it. He despises it. And when we came to Jesus Christ, all of that self-righteousness was taken away from us and God bestowed upon us. He clothed us in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I don't stand before God tonight clothed in those old filthy rags of unrighteousness. I stand before God dressed up in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Number three, when I got saved, God not only gave me a new standard of righteousness, God also gave me a hunger to want to know Jesus more. He says there in verse 10, that I may know him. You say, now wait a minute, Brother Bob. You told us back there in verse 8 that what it means to be saved is to have a personal, intimate, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we know him. That's what it means to be saved. And then here in verse 10, he says that I may know him. Well, you see, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, that's real saving knowledge of him. But that's not all there is to know about him. You see, when you come to know him as Savior, you want to know everything there is about him. Paul said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, my soul, who doesn't? If I had a yellow pad here and I said, if you want to sign up to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, come put your name on the list. Everybody here would come and sign up. I want to know that resurrection power, don't you? And then Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. You want to sign up for that? But I want to tell you, in the Christian life, we do not get a get-out-of-suffering-free card. God's people suffer. Sometimes we suffer physically. Sometimes we suffer mentally. Sometimes we suffer emotionally. Sometimes we suffer financially. Suffering is as much a part of the life of a child of God as it is anybody else. But isn't it good to know that when we go through those times of suffering, that Jesus is there in fellowship with us. We never go through those times by ourselves. Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. One day, we sang about it a moment ago, one day that old cold hand of death is going to come and lay its hand on our shoulder. It's going to happen to the oldest of us. It's going to happen to the youngest of us. One day that cold, clammy hand of death 
will lay its hand on our shoulder. But isn't it good to know that when that time comes, we won't face it by ourselves. An old, old song, Baptist hadn't sung it in 50 years. When I come to the river at the ending of day, and the last winds of sorrow have blown, there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. The chorus says, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know. You see, that's what it means when you get saved. When you get saved, God gives you a hunger to know everything there is to know about Jesus. When you get saved, God gives you a brand new standard of righteousness. And when you get saved, you live in Him. You've never been there before, but once you're there, you're there forever. You're in Christ. Now I want to ask you, have you ever been saved? You see, that's what it means to be saved. All of that, are, all of those are evidences of a person who really knows the Lord. In a few minutes, we're going to have an invitation. And I believe there's some of you already, the Holy Spirit of God has begun to deal with your heart. You don't have those things in your life. You're not in Christ. You don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to your life. And you don't have a hunger to know everything there is to know about Jesus and I believe there's some of you here tonight when the invitation is given, you ought to come and tell one of the ministers that may be here, I really need to be saved. All right, number two. If you're going to be everything Jesus saved you to be, not only must you be saved, you must close the door on the past. He says in verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. If you let the past absolutely choke you, you'll never be everything Jesus saved you to be. Now, I don't mean by that you forget everything. You don't forget people who made an investment in your life. You don't forget your mama. You don't forget your daddy. You don't forget those Sunday school teachers who poured God's Word into your life. You don't forget those faithful pastors who taught you the Word of God week by week by week. You don't forget those things. But I tell you, there are some things you need to forget. There are some things you need to close the door on that are in the past. Number one is sin. You need to close the door on those past sins. Brother Bob, you don't know what I did. Did that make a bit of difference? If you're saved, those sins are gone. Brother Charles dealt with that yesterday morning, and you should have been shouting, and you may have a little shout left in you. But I'm telling you, those sins are gone. When God forgave you, that word forgive means to send away. When God saved you, he took all of your sins and sent them away. There are three pictures of that in the Bible. One place the Bible says God has taken our sins and has put them in the middle of his back. Have you ever tried to see the middle of your back? Even an Indian rubber man can't turn his head that far. Another place the Bible says God has taken our sins and has cast them into the depths of the sea. 
Another place the Bible says God has taken our sins and has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. There's no way to measure that. If he'd said as far as the north and the south, you could measure that. You take a compass, head north, you'll come to the North Pole. Once you pass the North Pole, you're headed south. Keep on trucking, you'll come to the South Pole. Once you pass it, you're headed north. But I can get on a plane like I got off of today. I'd hear it Longview. I can get on a plane and we can circle planet Earth 25 times headed east. And all we're doing is going east. Or I can get on that same plane and head west and we can circle planet Earth 25 times and all we're doing is heading west. There's no way to measure east to west. And so, Brother Bob, which is it? Has God taken my sins and put them in the middle of his back? Or has God taken my sins and cast them in the depths of the sea? Or has God taken my sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west? Yes. Just pick one. Doesn't make a bit of difference. All of them are just pictures that when God forgave you, he took your sin and sent it away. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. All of it. It's gone. I'll tell you something else you need to close the door on in your past are those past failures. Most people have failed at something in their past. Maybe you failed a grade in school. Maybe you failed a test. Maybe you failed in business. Maybe you've had a failure in marriage. But whatever those failures are, you need to close the door on them or they will defeat you in the present. You must not let the past control the present. Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas, what a dynamic duo they were. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church at Antioch to go on a missionary crusade to preach the gospel and plant churches all over Asia Minor. And Barnabas said, Paul, I've got a nephew. His name is John Mark. And he's, he's, uh, he's young, but he's got a heart for the Lord. And he could be a help to us. Let's take him with us. Paul said, bring him on. And so Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they start out on that first missionary journey. And somewhere along the way, John Mark quits. He leaves. I don't know if he got homesick or if he got mama sick. He might have got sick of Paul or Barnabas. I have no idea. But he decided, I've had enough. I'm going home. And he left them. And Paul and Barnabas went ahead and finished their, their journey. And a little bit later on, Paul and Barnabas decided to go again on a second missionary journey. And Barnabas said, well, I'll call John Mark. And Paul said, no, not him. He's a quitter. He's a deserter. He's not going with us. Well, the Bible says between Paul and Barnabas, there was no small dissension. Well, if it wasn't small, what was it? It's big. It means they split up. So Paul went his way with a brand new partner, a fellow by the name of Silas. Paul and Silas go one way, and Barnabas and John Mark go the other way. John Mark, that quitter. John Mark, that failure. John Mark, that deserter. And Barnabas loved him and prayed for him and poured his life into him. And when you get home tonight, if you'll turn to the Gospel of Mark, it was written by that quitter, that failure, John Mark, the nephew of Barnabas. I'm telling you, whatever those failures may have been, you've got to close the door on those past failures. And I'll tell you something else. You've got to close the door on those past hurts. 
You know, there are a lot of people that are not serving the Lord today because they got hurt somewhere. And I don't know of any place where people get hurt any more than in churches. Oh, you don't know what he said about me. You don't know what she said about me. No, I don't really care if you don't know the truth about it. But I'm telling you, you're just going to have to get over it. You cannot allow hurt feelings and hurt attitude and hurt spirit to dominate your Christian life. You've got to close the door on the past. I have an idea in just a minute now when I give the invitation. There are some of you who've got problems in the past that are just bringing you down. Listen, whatever your past failures, whatever your past sins, whatever your past hurts, God will never bring them up before you again. Now, the devil loves to go back in our past and pull up all that stuff and rattle our cages. You remember what you used to do? Rattle, rattle, rattle. You remember the lies you told? Rattle, rattle, rattle. You remember the gossip you did? Rattle, rattle, rattle. God never brings up that past stuff. He has already covered it in the blood of Jesus, and you need to close the door. I believe there's some of you who ought to make your way to this altar in just a minute and say, Lord God, you know the past has been defeating me and discouraging me and God I'm asking you tonight to help me close the door on the past and here I promise you he'll help you you can get that settled tonight tonight number three if you're going to be everything Jesus saved you to be you must be saved you must close the door on the past and you must run your race in the future. Look there with me, if you will, in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, I follow after. And then down in verse, uh, verse 13, he says, reaching forth. And in verse 14, he said, I press toward the mark. All three of those are pictures of a runner running in a race, running as fast as they can, stretching every muscle, leaning forward as far as they can without falling over because they want to win the race. Did you know when God saved you, he set before you a race to run? Every one of us, God gave us a race to run. God had a plan and a purpose for your life when he saved you. Now, God's purpose for you is not the same as his purpose for me. God's purpose for me is not the same as God's purpose for Brother Charles. But God has a plan and a purpose for every one of his children. And every one of those plans is extremely important. And nobody can run your race but you. Well, Brother Bob, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if God still wants me in the race. He said in Philippians 1, 6, he said, He that hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means God wants you to stay in the race till you see Jesus. Well, Brother Bob, I don't know if I'm strong enough anymore. Brother Bob, I'm old. Hey, don't throw that stuff at me. I'll soon be 76 years old, and I'm still traveling 100,000 miles a year trying to get folks excited about Jesus. Amen? Don't fool, don't pull that on me. You might put it on some kid, but not me. Age has nothing to do with it. I don't know if I'm strong enough. Hey, Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, Brother Bob, I don't know if I can still add anything to the race anymore. I'm kind of brittle, you know. Hey, he says in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God wants you in the race. He'll give you the 
strength to run the race. He'll provide you everything you need to succeed in the race. Just get back in the race. Listen, any church in the Southern Baptist Convention, any church could have real revival if people who are sitting on the sideline would get up off their blessed assurances and get back in the race. Get in the race. We've got too many folks sitting on the curb watching. Let other folks... Preacher, I used to sing in the choir. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to be an usher. I used to be a great. Well, why did you quit? Why did you quit? Well, I figured it was time for somebody else to do it. Well, they may or may not, so you need to get back in the race. There's some of you tonight. I can tell when God's speaking to folks. I'm not a novice at this stuff, you know. I mean, I can tell when you begin to look kind of strange, God's beating you up a little. There's some of you tonight, the greatest decision you could make for Jesus tonight would be to make your way to this altar in just a minute now and say, dear God, I don't know how much time I've got left. I may have five years, I may have five days, I may have five months, but Lord, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life sitting on the curb watching other people. Tonight, I'm making a fresh commitment. I'm getting back in the race tonight. Amen. And number four, number four, if you're going to be everything Jesus saved you to be, you must be saved. You must close the door on the past. You must run your race in the present. And finally, you must keep your eyes on the future. He says, I press toward the mark. The mark is the finish line. All of us have a finish line somewhere out there in the future. Every once in a while, I'll see my wife. We've been married 54 years. We had our anniversary last month. I gave her a brand new jet ski for our 54th wedding anniversary. We both have, we live on the, on the lake. We both have jet skis and we ride them. We're the oldest two people out there, but we have a ball. And... So uh, that's a good gift on your 54th wedding anniversary. But every once in a while, I'll see her in our pantry, and, and she'll be gathering cans and boxes off and get her arms full of them. I'll say, "Hun, what, what are you doing? She says, well, all of these are expired. I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to throw them away. Hun, do you know we're, we're in the middle of inflation? Do you know there's a Democrat in the White House? You can't do that. But you know what she does? She throws them away. That's just a woman. Men would eat it for six more years. Because that don't make a lick to us. But I'm, did you know the day you were born, God put an expiration date on you. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to be born. You've had that. And there's a time to die. You're headed to that. And the date is set. It's set. It's fixed. It's in concrete. We all have an expiration date. We're all pressing toward the mark. We're all pressing toward the finish line. Because there's a prize 
over there. Now, I've been preaching almost 60 years, and when I first started preaching, uh, if it had not been for Hersha Ford's simple sermons, I wouldn't have anything to preach, you know. But then I got a little older, and I listened to other preachers, and I loved to hear preaching from other preachers. And, and so when I first started preaching, I said, the prize is a crown. You're going to go to heaven, and you're going to receive crowns, and that's the prize. And, and then I, I stopped thinking that, and I thought, well, I think the prize is heaven. I mean, that's quite a prize. I mean, a streets of gold, gates of pearl. Nobody ever sick, nobody ever dies, nobody ever hurts. That'd be a great prize. And then just last year, I was studying the book of Philippians again, going through it verse by verse and word by word. And I came to that word prize. And do you know what the word prize, on the Greek dictionaries that I have. Do you know what the word prize literally means? It means umpire. Umpire. Not a thing like a crown, not a place like heaven, but a person, the umpire. The one who calls the shots the one who rules the game, the umpire. And I know who he is. Amen. His name is Jesus. Paul said, I'm pressing on to the finish line because the umpire is waiting for me. One day we shall see him face to face. I've never seen him, and you haven't either. You know, people talk to me about their visions, but probably Alka-Seltzer would cure that. <laughs> I have not seen him, and the world doesn't understand that. The world says you Christians are an, a, a, a bizarre group of people, and they're right, we really are. You sing about someone you've never seen, and they're right. And you preach about someone you've never seen in their right. And you give money in the name of someone you've never seen in their right. And you send missionaries around the world to tell people about somebody you've never seen in their right. But they don't ever finish the sentence. We've never seen him yet. But one day, we shall see him. Now we look through a glass darkly, but then face to face, face to face. Don't settle for mediocrity in your Christian life. We don't all have the same talents. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. Some of you can do things with your hands, I could never do. Some of you could take a, just an old piece of wood and with, with the, the craft and the, that you have and the creativity and you can make a beautiful, beautiful piece of furniture. I, I could not do that for the life of me. We don't all have the same abilities or the same gifts. But all of us, can be the best we can be for Jesus. 
He's worthy of it. Amen. He deserves it. Don't settle for mediocrity. There's some of you tonight. We get so bogged down with earthly things. And we watch the news. We know what's going on in Ukraine. And we know what's going on in Russia. And we know what's going on in China. And we know what's going on in Washington. And we can see this conflict and that conflict. And hear of this disease and that. And we just get all torn up on the inside. Because all we do is keep focusing on down here. Some of you will need to make your way to this altar tonight and say, God, I've been so focusing on down here. I've, I've forgotten the prize. And Lord, tonight, help me to refocus on the future. This world is not our home, friend. We're just passing through. The Bible calls us strangers. The Bible calls us pilgrims. The Bible calls us aliens because we, we don't belong here. We're just on our way to the Father's house. Paul said, I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I want to lay hold of everything for which Jesus laid hold of me. I want to be everything he saved me to be. I must be saved. I must close the door on the past. I must run my race in the future. I must keep my, run my race in the present. I must keep my eyes on the future. I believe God's spoken to some of you tonight. And when God speaks, he always expects a response. You have a wonderful altar here. You even have some mourner's benches. Mourner's benches can become rejoicer's benches when you come and do business with God. Do you need to be saved? Come tell one of these pastors that will be here. Do you need help closing the door on the past? Come ask God to help you. You'll be amazed at what God will do right here at this altar. Do you need to make a fresh start running your race in the present? Make your way to this altar tonight and tell God that. He'll give you an energy you hadn't had in a long time to get back in the race. And do you need to refocus on the future? Lift your eyes. Ask God to help you. He will. He will. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, you've... you've You've taught us, you've, you've loved on us, you've beaten us up a little bit, you've encouraged us, you've challenged us through this word. Thank you for giving these words to the Apostle Paul hundreds of years ago so that we could learn from them and be blessed and challenged and encouraged by them on this night. God, let people respond tonight. Lord, as we come to this invitation, don't let anybody let pride or anything else keep them. Lord, there's some folks here. Lord, you've spoken to I know when you're in the house. And God, you've spoken to some folks here tonight. And I, I hope they'll just respond, not because of me, but because of you. There's some who need to be saved. Let them come and trust Jesus. Some who need to make other commitments that we've seen in these verses tonight. Let them come. And we'll give you and only you the praise for all of it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Would you stand together? We sing our hymn of invitation. You come on right now. Come on right now. Right now. Just step out and come right now. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender. Master, 
so much for being here tonight you know I was thinking about is is this invitation time <clears throat> well we've come a long way uh, in the wrong way uh, there have been times when I've in, in my younger days when these altars would be filled I mean filled and if we were right with God we had other people that we knew wasn't right with God and we would be broken-hearted about it I was thinking about uh, how it was the first time that I went to Six Flags and could not ride the rides because of my open heart surgery. And I thought, you know, my kids are having a great time. Boy, they, you know, they got to ride all these rides and everything. And I have to stand over here and say, man, they're having a great time. I want so bad to get on that ride. Some of y'all here are standing here saying, hey, God is moving in this place tonight. And I'm so glad, but you're so arrogant that you don't know God's speaking to you. I'm just telling you, 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 we have got to come to the place where repentance and we get on our face before God. I pray that happens soon. We're going to take an offering. I need to see a smile or two. Amen? <laughs> I know you. I'm just joking with you. We're going to, ushers, would you, whoever we got, find some credible, uh-uh, I said cre cre credible. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Everything that you give tonight goes to offset this right here. Uh, we, we give uh, Brother Bob a, a certain amount, 
uh, but if you give more than that amount, we give him the more than the amount. So not a dime of it stays here. All of it goes. Uh, and man, I will tell you, these are the kind of men we need traveling across America speaking the word of God. What a blessing they are. Let's pray together. Have we got a little music to give by? You're going to. All right. Who's going to pray for you? Okay. Father God, we come here thanking you, Lord, for the blessings you've given us through this word that you brought tonight from this messenger that you sent us. Lord, we pray we take it and apply it to our lives that we'll be better workers for you through this week. We pray you give him safe journey mercies as he goes to his next engagement to speak your word to somebody that needs to hear it before it's ever too late. We pray now as we take this offering that, Lord, you'll just further it as he goes down the road to spread Jesus throughout the country. Get us home safely. We thank you for the anointing of the Spirit tonight and pray that you'll just again help us to take what we heard and apply it to our lives to be better workers for you. Forgive us where we failed you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is there anything else going to happen? Or is this it? Huh? 
Is it? Huh? Are you singing tonight? Next week. Are you serious? He's lying, isn't he? <laughs> it ain't him, preacher. <laughs> he, he, which one are y'all going to sing? Both of them are? He says y'all are going to sing. <laughs> Y'all aren't going to sing, really? Huh? That'd be nice. Huh? What do you want to sing? Come on, I'll help you. Come on, I'll help you. Come on, I'll help you. I guess it ain't going to happen. I tell you, y'all are going to have to come back next Monday night because you heard him say next week. Next week, all right? Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me tonight? Haven't it been great to be in God's house? Praise the Lord. Tell everybody you know tomorrow, hey, man, on Monday night, man, the Lord came in this place. And be back next Monday with us. I love.